Hey everybody, this is Dean Castronova from the band Journey, formerly of Ozzy Osbourne and Bad English. And you guys are listening to the Diary of the Madman podcast. Crank it! What's up, Ozymaniacs? This is Dan Drago here from Diary of the Mad Men. I wanted to let you know the episode you were about to hear was recorded on Tuesday, June 21st, the night before Ozzy released the big news. He is releasing a new single this Friday, Patient Number 9. So the episode you're about to hear was recorded and taped before the announcement. But good news, stay tuned because Josh and I are going to record a brand new episode this Friday to discuss in detail the brand new Ozzy song, Patient Number 9. We are so excited and we cannot wait. Stay tuned and we will see you on the other side. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Diary of the Mad Men, the ultimate Ozzy Osbourne podcast where we talk about all things Ozzy and all things Ozzy related. I'm Josh Crum and he's Mr. Dan Drago. How's it going, Dan? Doing great. It is great to be back, man. How you been? I'm good, dude. Me and you haven't spoken in almost a fucking month again. We're getting lazy on the listeners out there, but yeah. unfortunately we have lives to live. So, you know, fuck off. We're trying our best. It but, is. Uh, I'm sure. good, man. How are you doing? Doing good, man. This is the longest break we've ever had on the podcast. So first and foremost, we want to thank our listeners for being patient and apologize, but we are super excited to be back. We both figure here shortly we're going to really ramp up how much we're going to be doing shit because stuff should be coming soon. So it was kind of a nice little break for us to kind of reset and get ready to go. But, you know, things have been good. Same old Absolutely. shit. Absolutely. And, you know, that goes to all facets of life, really. Like, whatever you do, don't burn it out. You know what I mean? And like if me and you and we got children and lives and if we're trying hard to make sure the show happens every week or every two weeks, it becomes unfun. And you and I have discussed that's the last thing we ever want to happen is for it to become unfun. So we've decided we record when we can record. And we appreciate everyone's patience with that because ultimately we're here for you guys. And we're here for ourselves because we have a fucking blast doing this. We just do it when we can do it, man. But other than that, I'm excited for today's topic as always. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's a great point. I'm pretty lucky to have an amazing partner because... My schedule sucks. Your schedule can be rough for sure. And just the fact that we don't stress out about not getting it done makes this way more enjoyable, dude. Unlike when your life partner doesn't get it done. Yeah, it's a little bit more frustrating. You know what I mean? But right. when your partner Dan in the podcast world doesn't get it done, it's not so bad. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> before we get into today's topic, man, there's a couple of news tidbits we'd like to touch on. It's been about three or four weeks since our last episode. So there's, there's definitely been a lot go down in the world of Aussie and in the world of music. But to start off with, man, we finally have some information on the new Megadeth record. And you and I are both Megadeth heads. We were discussing before we even came onto the show tonight. They've officially pushed the album back to September, according to Dave Mustaine. And it appears that a new single is dropping actually probably the same day that this podcast drops. Yeah, we're super excited for the single. The single is going to be called Killing Time. Like you said, it drops on Thursday, June 23rd. 
the same day this podcast drops. It's exciting because you and I have been waiting and waiting and waiting for anything on this record to be released. And they originally had a July release date. And we were like, well, we know that's not going to happen because there's been no information. So it's really cool. They've done a really cool marketing job. They've done this website that's dedicated to the sick, the dying, and the dead, which is what the album is called, like you said. And I think they're going to put some spoilers on there and some cool stuff. So try to find it and launch that website and try to follow it. I think it's going to be pretty cool. The website is sickdyingdead.com. Yeah, sickdyingdead.com. Go there and like Dan said, hopefully they're going to add more and more spoilers on there and kind of an old school approach. You know, a lot of people don't really use their websites anymore to promote. They use social media. So it's kind of cool. I like the idea of hearkening back to the website to give teasers for the upcoming tracks and whatnot. And I'm a fan of it. One thing about the Megadeth release that's exciting for me is it feels like one more domino that goes down before the new Aussie release. You know, like we knew that this Megadeth album was probably going to come first. Uh, like you said earlier, it was scheduled for July the 8th, and it definitely became clear that wasn't happening. When you're getting mid-June, there's still not a single. Like we said, they've pushed that now back to September, but finally we're getting the, the single today, the day that this drops, June 23rd. But, you know, it's exciting because now it's starting to go forward. There's new Megadeth coming, the same as Ozzy. It's been quiet in the Aussie camp for a long time on the record. Pretty much zero news since November for the most part, except for Sharon dropping the news that it was coming out in September, right? But this Megadeth album was equally as quiet. Like, it's been sitting there finished for like over a fucking year. And I know Dave can't wait to get this out and play some of these tracks live. I agree. Absolutely. And obviously, you know, the thing that we're, like you said, that we're more concerned with is in the Aussie camp, which is, God, if we don't get any information soon, I fear that September is going to be pushed back. And if that happens, I think it's going to be quite frustrating for all of us. That's definitely the fears. We need to hear something here soon. Yeah, for sure. Anything. Just, just it doesn't have to be a song. It could be a snippet. It could be an album cover. It could be an album title. It could just be any information, a release date with uh, fucking the, the song titles, but just some sort of marketing and promotion needs yeah. to be said soon, or we are definitely in pushback territory. Yeah. Yeah. I was getting ready to say, even just to officially announce the release date, because they've, you know, Sharon said September on a podcast, but they've never officially said that. Either. So, I mean, just any kind of information will be wonderful. The camp's definitely been quiet on that, much like Megadeth was. But Megadeth is finally pushing forward. Maybe now we can start pushing forward with Ozzy. Let's hope. But like you said, I'm super excited to hear the new Megadeth record. Dystopia was one of their best records in years. Maybe their best since Cryptic Writings for me. And I know you'll feel the same way. So that's got me super excited. Right. I think this lineup of Megadeth is fantastic. And super excited that Steve DiGiorgio is playing bass on the record. If you guys haven't heard that, he is a monster bass player, even though he's not going to tour with them. He did guest on the record to replace Dave Ellison's bass tracks. So I just think the, the record's going to be great from that perspective. Yeah, I do too, man. I'm really excited about it. We've mentioned it a lot on the show that we're excited about it. And uh, of course, with the next episode we drop, we will give you our thoughts and opinions on the new single because we definitely can't wait to hear it. We'll be uh, Wednesday night at midnight, you know, uh, tuning in and listening to that. So, or I guess it'd be exactly. Thursday morning, but either way. But yeah, I can't wait to definitely download that and check it out. So, so the nice thing for me is I get it about 10 o'clock or 9 o'clock at night. Yeah. West Coast assholes. <laughs> East Coast is going to wait till midnight. I'm like sitting up. I'm getting old. I'm holding my eyelids open. Yeah. Uh, it's 9 o'clock for me. So I get it. Nice I can remember early. when Ozzy dropped Straight to Hell. 
And it was so funny because, you know, there was like three days worth of teasers leading up to that, if you remember. And it would have like him holding that snake and the snake would be like moving in his hands yep. and the little teaser awesome. thing. It'd, it'd play the little, uh, yeah. you know, or whatever. Good memory, man. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And I, we, you know, we, of course we couldn't fucking wait. And I remember, and my wife knows I'm a fucking nut. I mean, I'm an Aussie historian, man. She knows this. And I'll never forget. She looked at me and she said, you're really going to sit up till midnight and hear this song. And I also thought, do you even fucking know me? Of course I'm going to sit up to midnight. I'll probably sit up to two in the morning listening to it over and over, to be honest with you. Like, what? Of course, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it'll, it'll still be there in the morning. And I'm like, no, uh, no, yeah. it's not the same. Like, no, I'm at midnight. I'm going to be fucking listening to this song. So, yeah, definitely exciting times, man. Even back then, listeners, me and Josh and Ryan would all listen to the singles and then get on the phone and listen to them together and talk about it. And, you know, we jack off. Jack off, yeah. <laughs> but it, that's just the way I can't it goes. wait to do it again here. I shortly, can't wait man. to do it again. Exactly. <laughs> so, well, in other news, the big stadium tour of Motley Crue, Def Leppard, Poison, and Joan Jett has finally kicked off. And for me personally, the only band I'd really want to go see is Motley Crue. Nothing against Def Leppard and Poison. I've seen Poison; they were actually great live. But for me, I'd only really go see Motley Crue at this point. But Surprisingly, big news, Tommy Lee broke his ribs and is only playing a very, very small part of the show. I think he started with five songs. Now he's down to three. And he is replaced by none other than Tommy Klufetis, Ozzy's main man. So I think I'm super happy for Tommy. Tommy is a great fucking drummer. Nobody more deserving than Tommy to be up there uh, replacing Tommy Lee. Now, this is the second time an Aussie drummer has uh, been in Motley Crue with Randy Castillo, of course, being on New Tattoo. So it's really, really cool. What do you think of the show so far and the Tommy Lee news? You know, I, I find it discouraging a little bit. From a standpoint of like, you know, you've had these tickets for two fucking years and I, I do love all the bands and I, my favorite is Motley Crue of that, but still it's such an exciting tour and there has been so much hype around it and people have been so excited and the thought of holding a ticket for two, two and a half years, maybe even three by the time they announced it. Right. Yeah. And then you get there and Tommy Lee plays three fucking songs. That is very discouraging. Like that sucks. It does. Cause he's still, on the other, I mean- on the other hand, at least he is making an appearance so, you know, if you're somebody that just wants to say you've seen them and, and this and that, you know, and that's cool too. But as far as Tom McAfee goes, who better to fill in? He's a fucking monster. And people have hated on this guy for a fucking decade now with Ozzy and Sabbath. But the reality is he is a fucking timepiece. He's a monster fucking drummer. He's obviously a cool hang to hang with. Everyone seems to love him. And I think he fits in with Motley Crue fucking great. He's got the look for him. Yeah. He's got the sound for him. I, I think it's a perfect fucking fit. Yeah. Like I said, I think he is absolutely perfect and there's nobody better than Tommy Clufettis to replace Tommy Lee here. And let's you know hope Tommy Lee gets better soon. And I feel bad for the guy. I'm sure he's as pissed off as everybody else is knowing that he fucking has another go around and he broke his ribs. He's not saying how he broke them. So, which is kind of yeah, interesting. I was just going to comment on that. He won't say how he broke them though. And I find that kind of odd. You yeah, know, me it's just a weird thing. You never know though. I'm a big Cincinnati Reds fan. I know it's a hard life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there was that time when Griffey Jr. got hurt real bad and he never would really, he like, he lied and said he did whatever. And he said he, he was playing with his kids or whatever. I can't remember exactly now, but he said he was playing with his kids and fell or some shit. And it ended up he was like riding a motorcycle or something. Yeah. So yep. you, you almost wonder if there's not something like that with Tommy, like, 
Yeah, he's being a rock star. He's being Tommy Lee. But man, knowing this tour was kind of, you simply shouldn't have been doing that shit. I think you're spot on. You know it's got to I mean? be something silly like that. Yeah. 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 Something that would kind of make him look a little bit irresponsible. Yeah. I totally agree. That's a great call. So what do you think of their set list, man? I, I kind of wanted to talk to you about that. We haven't really talked about that recently, specifically about the songs they chose to play. But did you see the set list? I glanced at it, but I don't really recall a whole lot of it. Was there anything jumped out at it that wasn't typical? Well, so listen, they're playing a stadium tour, right? You yeah. have to expect they're going to play their greatest hits, right? Of course. I mean, yeah. I just think i think that just goes with the territory i personally think they could have added more of their hits and taken out some of these songs personally like i think starting the show with wild sides fucking brilliant but that's excellent excellent that's great here's my problem with it though the middle of the set they kind of do a medley of all of their covers they ever did they did smoking in the boys room white punks on dope helter skelter which is awful and anarchy in the uk which is also awful but i don't think that should have been in the show i would have much rather have seen more early motley Crue stuff than that you know there's a lot of cool songs they left off a shout for sure and too fast for love those two albums in particular that i would have rather seen on the set and even more stuff off of fucking dr feelgood dr feelgood's a great record absolutely and and they play same old situation which i think is one of the worst songs off that record oh i love that song oh do you really yes the melody for days melody for days to me that was them trying to be poison instead of yeah of course it was but they've always led the way (laughs) poison followed them now they're following poison i I don't like it i love it i love those bass lines man shit that's that's a great song you're wrong man i'd rather hear bastard come on listeners would you rather hear same old situation or bastard not even snake shake get the fuck out of here rattlesnake shake (laughs) (laughs) i knew you would love that i do agree with you on the medley though it's kind of odd man i know tommy lee isn't out there but white punks on dope tommy lee didn't play on that that was randy Castillo on that right right that is a weird little medley to have in the middle i'm like you i think i would just rather take another track off one yeah. of the other albums and just you know or hell even joe house rock right joe house rock again that was kick-ass right and they didn't include yeah. in the medley i don't even understand that yeah it's kind of weird overall it's a solid set but i personally would have rather just heard smoking in the boys room complete than adding these other songs in because i do think that's a great cover but they don't need white punks on dope helter skelter anarchy in the uk blah and rock and roll yeah. part two fuck just play smoking in the boys room that's their best cover by far since we're discussing randy castillo and new tattoo and motley crew i love that record what'd you think about new tattoo i think it's really solid i mean obviously i'm a big crew fan and i fucking love also the john karabi crew record one of my mm-hmm. favorite records but i think new tattoo is solid it's better than generation swine oh you know? no question even it's though there are better. some songs i do really i really like the title track in generation swine to be honest but overall i do think new tattoo who's got more of that sound. I do think Saints of Los Angeles was a solid record. It just didn't sound like Motley Crue as much as it sounded like 6AM. Because Motley Crue didn't write it and 6AM yeah, wrote 6 it. 6AM wrote it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's, just, it's a mistake. Which, yeah, which none of us really quite realized when it came out. It took a little, you know, a few years down the road, you kind of start seeing that. It's like, oh, 6 a, this is a 6AM record with Motley Crue playing it. Yeah. Okay. And okay. I don't know why they did that. Just that was strange. Let McMars help write with Nikki Six. That's Motley Crue, man. I know, dude. You know, I was Watch helps. Even Vince and Tommy have helped write a lot in their earlier days. So I don't understand why Absolutely. they didn't let the guys write the fucking record. Absolutely. You know, I was watching a little bit, a couple of clips the other night from the stadium tour. And one thing that continues to amaze me throughout the years for me, and it's so underappreciated in the rock world, man, Mick Mars has a 
fucking mean ass tone, don't he? Yeah, and hats off to yeah. that guy. I mean, he's got a serious illness, and the fact he's at the age he's at because he's considerably older than everybody in that band, and he is putting in hella performances, and he sounds yeah. great. What sounds an underrated good, guitar man. player, man! For sure, and and writer, like we said, you know, which yeah. I know that Nikki writes a lot of everything, but I mean, I'm sure Mick, at least he writes his solos, and they're fucking killer. No, no, Mick writes but, some riffs too. Yeah, know, yeah, his tone is still so fucking good, man, and he's got such a mean, heavy tone out of that fucking Strat style guitar. Oh. I guess it is a Stratocaster, right? Yeah. The fucking tone on Motley Crue with John Karabi record. That's one of the best sounding records ever, man. Yeah. But I like New Tattoo a lot also, by the way. I, all the way through. I like all yeah. of it. You know, It's a fun it's, record, it's you know, which it's is what fun, should be. Exactly. That's a fun record. Yeah. There's nothing groundbreaking with it. It's kind of cheesy and hokey in moments, but this is a fun Motley Crue record. Agreed. And that's exactly what Motley Crue should be. Absolutely. All right. So before we get into today's topic, let's talk about the main man himself and what has been the latest with Ozzy. Of course, as everyone listening already knows, Ozzy has had another medical procedure, another surgery, this time going in to realign the plates and rods in his body from his quad back accident. So apparently when he fell in 2019, a lot of those rods and pins displaced and it's caused him a lot of discomfort, which you can imagine. And if you've seen Ozzy on TV, if you watch the Osbournes Want to Believe or any of those shows that are more current, Ozzy always looks uncomfortable. He's moving his body all the time. He's always trying to sit just right. He leans forward. He leans back. He gets, And he's always kind of done this, but it's different now. So I can really see where this surgery could potentially do a shit ton to help him from a standpoint of just day-to-day life being comfortable when he sits or stands in a room. So it appears the surgery went great. He was released from the hospital. What was it, Dan? Two days later, he was out. Yep. So he looked great. And he gets into the vehicle by himself in the TMZ video that was out there that everyone saw or whatever it was. Excellent news. And we have to think that that was the last barrier before the new album release. But more importantly, it's just great to see him looking better. Yeah. The truth of the matter is Ozzy has not really been able to walk on his own for quite some time now. You know, he's always got handlers helping him. He's using a cane. And I mean, this goes back all the way to when they did that Post Malone show. Remember on stage and he had to sit in a oh, yeah. fucking cool chair? You know, yeah. so Ozzy's been having a hard time just even being able to walk normal and i feel terrible for the guy because he looks like he's in just tremendous pain all of the time like you said man the fact that we got those vocals on the ordinary man record again is just so mind-blowing and i'm so grateful for the fact that we have that record and another one because he has just been struggling so i'm super happy that the the surgery went okay he looks great i thought he was going to be in the hospital i mean i texted you right away and i was like fuck i expected him in for at least a week at least a week yeah. yeah and he was out in two days he looks better he gets into the car by himself they're talking about going to hawaii to celebrate their anniversary uh their 40th anniversary which is awesome which i don't think they would have been able to do prior to the surgery so i'm just so happy that he has the surgery let's just hope a prolongs his life forever and b the man just isn't in as much pain as he used to be absolutely and from a standpoint of the new album which by no means is the most important thing i don't mean to bring that up like that's what matters it's not that but it feels like this is 
something they probably wanted to have done before promotion begins on the new record, right? Like you don't want to be right in the middle of promoting an album and he has to have a surgery. And typically for singles, the artists don't do a lot of press, but for album release, of course, that's when you're out making public appearances, you're doing interviews, you're on, you know, radio station shows, radio interviews, whatever. With the September release date, that seems to be possible at this point. Seeing him get out of that wheelchair and crawl into his vehicle relatively easily it feels like he could be on the men quicker than honestly I expected at first also. And maybe that was the first hurdle to go over before he really goes forward pressing this record and knowing he can go out and talk to people comfortably and, and, and handle that end of it. I wonder if the album cover is done or if they were waiting for the surgery so they can hopefully not put wings on him, but put a cool <laughs> Aussie album cover together where he can stand there and do an extensive photo shoot. Yeah. Which is well, exhausting. You know, absolutely. But, you know, we've talked about this before. You have these GQ photos from Ross Half and they're great. I would personally love it if they would just use some of those, man, and just clean them up, make them look great, do whatever, put bat wings on them, whatever. No, no, but- no, no, no wings. <laughs> But no, I think we all agree that's the kind of album cover we want, and they may already have those in the can from that session if they wanted to use that. All right, so that brings us to our topic, and we are going back to Sabbath, baby. It's about time, right? It's been quite a while. Yeah, we have not done nearly enough Sabbath shows. We've really focused on Ozzy Solo, which obviously we're huge fans of, but we want to make sure people understand we're huge fans of Black Sabbath too. I'm maybe a little bit bigger fan of Black Sabbath's all eras than you are, because you know I jerk off to Born Again here and there quite a bit, and I love Cross Purposes and a couple other things, but you and I both clearly prefer Ozzy Solo. That's our favorite thing in the world, but the Ozzy era Black Sabbath is right there, and it's fucking amazing and such a huge part of our show. Hey, Speaking of Born Again, did you watch the new season of Stranger Things yet? Yes, I did. Did you see the dude wearing the Born Again t-shirt? I did. It was fucking so great. (laughs) It was pretty fucking cool, man. I was like, that's a Born Again t-shirt. Like, kudos on that. And I know, and I told my wife, too, it's good writing because that would have been really the current Black Sabbath album at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Right? That was cool, man. Yeah. yeah I, thought smart. That, I thought that was neat. All right. So our topic today is we are, this was tough, ranking all of the Black Sabbath album openers in order. That's nine of them. So not all, all Aussie era. So that's nine albums and Josh and I are going to discuss them all and then rank them. And I'll be honest, I think this was tougher than the Aussie solo ranking. No question. No right? question. Yes. And I didn't realize it myself until I actually wrote them down and then started looking at them and trying to place them where I would like them. And it was really fucking hard. It was a lot harder than I thought it would be. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. And then finally, it just, the whole list hit me today. This sounds so stupid, but I swear to God, Josh, I was sitting there and it's been a rough day. I'm not going to lie. My dog has passed away today after 13 years and it's been brutal. You know, it's been a lot of tears shed and I've been trying to be there for my family, but I was just sitting there talking and crying a little bit. And then that list just came to me. Like, I swear to God, all nine songs are like, oh yeah, that's one, that's two, that's three, that's four, boom. And I ran in here and I wrote it down and I just couldn't figure it out. And then it just, I had a moment of clarity. Do you remember that movie Rockstar? Zach Wilde was in it. Remember yeah, that? Yeah, Mark Marky Wahlberg. Mark. So you remember that moment when Mark's like, this is Kirk Cutting. He's like, oh, I'm sorry to hear about your dog dying, man. <laughs> like, you're going to start getting fan mail from some of the listeners. Uh, like, oh, I'm sorry, Dan, about your dog. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I did change my Facebook picture today and I got uh, friends reaching I saw out that. Yeah. yeah and i don't mean to make a lie it just it reminded me of that it's like you know because only a true fan would know that his dog died you know yeah, yeah exactly we'll, we'll start getting some fan mail about dan's dog and that is sad man and like I said, it's I got, like losing I got, a family also. member man yeah it for really sure dude. but yeah definitely got a nice distraction here with some aussie black sabbath podcast talk so we'll help you get through the next little bit 
So first, the first heavy metal song of all time, and I will fight you with that comment, and that is Black Sabbath from Black Sabbath. It was originally recorded October 16th in 1969, released in the UK February 13th, 1970, and released in the States June 1st, 1970. All of these nine songs are written by Tony, Geezer, Bill, and Ozzy. So we don't even have to say it. We all know when Black Sabbath writes, it's written as a band, of course, except End of the Beginning, which was written by Ozzy, Tony, and Geezer. So a lot of people don't realize Ozzy wrote the lyrics to Black Sabbath, the song, based on a dream that Geezer had. A lot of people try to claim that Geezer wrote it, but it's not true. We've read articles countless times that Geezer said that Ozzy penned those lyrics. I'm sure Geezer helped him, but it is clearly the first heavy metal song of all time. They used the tritone. I think Geezer was responsible for the music. So he was playing on an old classical called Mars, the Bringer of War. It was inspired by it. And they play the tritone, which is called the devil's music, the devil's fifth note. And yeah. it's eerie as fuck, man. And Tony adding those trills. It's incredible. So look at this. I'm bringing some information today. That Black Sabbath riff was inspired for Geezer on, uh, by Mars, the Bringer of War, which also has that tritone. Do you know people that was illegal to play for many years. You were not allowed to play the devil's tone. It was illegal for many, many years. How crazy is that? Right. And you know, it's the thing is though, it truly is eerie and scary. And that song is scary in 2022. It's still oh scary. God. That song yeah. still scares children. Dude, have you ever heard a vocal performance like Ozzy gives on that song? Oh, it's Any, unreal. Ever. It's, it's unreal. unreal. I mean, people try to say, and listen, I'm not denying Tony's greatness. We talk about Tony all the time. But if you had Robert Plant singing that song, it wouldn't have the same impact. Ozzy's wail and emotion. I mean, it literally sounds like he's going to hell, right? Yeah, I mean, sure. You're right. It scares the shit out of you. It's a scary I, song. And I always amazing. think, yeah. And I always think as scary as it is in 2022, imagine 1970. Just imagine in 1970, little Johnny is playing this song in his bedroom and his parents are hearing this shit. I know. <laughs> I mean, that's why it's, it's the first heavy metal song, man. It's hard to imagine what really went through people's minds when they first heard it. And like you said, Ozzy's tone and his delivery on this track is so fucking scary, man. And the whole, oh, no, please, God, help me. I mean, fuck. That's the shit right there, man. And that created heavy metal. That yeah, fucking crazy. combination of all that, man. The fucking lyrics, the delivery, the tone, the fucking tritones. I and, was you know, about had... the devil like that. I mean, it's pretty crazy. And something else, too, that a lot of people don't realize. The dream that Geezer had was inspired by a book of spells and Satanism that Ozzy gave to Geezer. Now, I think that's so cool. <laughs> and that so inspired neat, the dream. Geezer was like, hey, dude, you gave me that book. I had this dream. And then that's how Ozzy penned the lyrics. So that fucking was it. cool. Yeah, yeah, man. And, you know, when that ending kicks in, you know, it's so slow and you're, you're listening to this story. And when that ending finally kicks in and Tony goes in that main fucking riff, dude, I tell you what, I've been listening to this song for almost 30 years or better. I still get fucking chill bumps when this song kicks in, man. When it goes to that fucking last section, that is the fucking shit. That is what I want when I listen to music, the way that that track hits my feels, because it yeah. absolutely, I feel it through my fucking bones every damn time, just about. I'll be honest, it's one of the greatest riffs to play on the guitar, too. I'm not oh. going to lie. It's fucking incredible. And that end solo, 
solo, and you could hum that whole solo. I love when Tony plays it live because he does a pretty good job of playing the same fucking solo, and it's just incredible. It is awesome. That part, I dare you not to headbang once it kicks in, right? Exactly, man. Yeah. And then when they, they open the end tour with it, I thought, what a great way to open the fucking last tour you're ever going to do. Yeah, than with right. the song that started it all, you know, it's just such a great, you know, it's not typically a great opener track because so stylistically, cool. right? But it worked so well on that farewell tour, also, man. It's just, it's a fucking great song. But what else is there you can really say about it? The last thing I'll say is two things. One, Bill's performance is really understated because he's not playing a beat at all. He is just really playing off of the other musicians, which he talks about all the time. But I don't know if there is a finer example of it than the song Black Sabbath. Yeah. It, that drum part is so fucking iconic, man. We talk about all four of these guys is what made Black Sabbath incredible. And I love when Bill talks about like there used to be like an invisible fifth member when they'd get together because they just knew each other so well. And you can really yeah. hear it in the performance. And I love the early live versions of it. It is so spot on because Ozzy sounds just like the fucking record back then. And on Absolutely. top of it, they released that version off Ozman Cometh, but had that additional verse, which, you know, it's cool for nostalgia's sake. Yeah, absolutely. And it kind of shows you how the song built. Like, you know, this was initially how it was. They later trimmed it back to what we all know and love. But it's always cool hearing those other variations and other versions of any track. You know, that's that's what we love. That's the kind of stuff that we live for. But yeah, a fucking great song, man. Scariest shit. Still the, absolutely the scariest song of all time. By far. And I don't think there's anything fucking close. Exactly. It's just fucking great. And like you said, everyone holds their own so well on this track as they do all these tracks really yeah. like you said black sabbath was definitely a sum of all the parts no question about it and let me just clarify geezer was playing the riff from mars the bringer of light in practice and tony came back the next day with his version of it i just want to be clear you know so i don't get called out but that's how the song was written all right and that brings us to the second track which is off of paranoid of course released in 1970 also and paranoid opens with the legendary war pigs what is there to say about war pigs that hasn't already been said it's for me the greatest black sabbath song of all time i'll go ahead and say that spoiler alert if you're an architect and you're wanting to construct and draw what a black sabbath song is supposed to look like war pigs is the blueprint right every black sabbath song since kind of wanted to be war pigs in a way you know so many twists and turns and there's no real course it just has different moments and it tells its own story and with lyrics that are now 52 years old and still hold true to this day i mean the lyrics on war pigs is so fucking great man and it's something that's never gotten aged because it's still so relevant 52 years later tony iomi a million fucking killer riffs when you can play a riff oh and the crowd sings the riff god damn that's fucking bad to the bone i'd like to write a riff like that just one time in my life that the crowd would sing back to me when i play. right <laughs> yeah man it's fucking war pigs man da -da. there's so many iconic moments generals gathered in their masses so many great fucking moments but the peak moment of war pigs for everyone oh lord yeah right that's what made Ozzy so fucking great. And that's what made him so relatable to people because he had these moments that were literally nothing. But just to say, oh, Lord, yeah. Just like the, oh, Lord, please God help me. You know, those moments made Ozzy so fucking 
lovable to the fans because you love to sing those parts. You know, I dare you to go to any arena. I went and saw Judas Priest a few months back and they play War Pigs before they come out to the stage. It's like the last track that plays before they come on. And dude, A, most of the crowd's singing anyway. But when it goes to the Oh Lord, yeah, people's fucking grandmas are singing that part. You know what I mean? Like everyone fucking knows that section of the song. But it just has so many great moments, man. And, you know, the riff that da, 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 that riff is just so fucking cool, man. And so melodic. Really you know, we talk is. about Tony being heavy, but that is a melodic moment musically. And it's just a fucking great song. That supposedly is called Luke's Wall, the part you're referring to, but I find all that to be kind of a joke. But, yeah. you know, this song is so iconic. I think from a legacy standpoint, War Pigs is the song over Iron Man and Paranoid that Black Sabbath is most remembered for. I think in common culture today, when we're out there, you see it in movies, you see it in stuff. I think War Pigs, we hear more than anything. What do you think, Josh? I think Paranoid's hard to argue because, you know, Paranoid's definitely out there. I think, you know, for Paranoid, I think the fact that Dazed and Confused, the movie Dazed and Confused used it back in like 1993, I think that really bumped Paranoid a lot also because, as we've said on the show before, soundtracks were such a big deal back then. Yeah, And then Iron Man used Iron Man, of course. Yeah, but yeah. no, nah, man, War Pigs is definitely right there with them. But I think for the true hard rock fan, it's War Pigs over Iron Man and Paranoid any day of the week. Yeah. So a couple of cool things it was Roger Bain's idea to put the air siren at the beginning, which is so iconic, man. I, you fucking, that air siren, it's so good. And then he also did the ending. The ending of that song is very unique and iconic with how they speed up the tape. I remember the first time hearing War Pigs thinking that is the strangest ending I've ever heard but back in the day. Never heard anyone else ever do it. No, it's so you know, different. It. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, we all know it was originally called Walpurgis and was written about a witch's Sabbath, which is kind of like a witch's Christmas and definitely had different lyrics. And you get a ton of versions of that from early Osman Cometh and Paris 1970. There's just so many versions of it like that. Thank God they changed the lyrics because as cool as the original one is, and they were, you know, it's way more black mass and black magic and satanic. The lyrics to War Pigs, I think, is Geezer's masterpiece. I literally think they are up there as maybe the greatest set of lyrics of all time. They're as relevant today, like you said, as 52 years ago, and they're just brilliant. They are literally the best set of heavy metal lyrics. I'll definitely say that. And he managed to rhyme masses and masses. <laughs> right, which, you know what? <laughs> Who the fuck cares? <laughs> the cool thing is, here's something that I want listeners to think about. War Pigs was written in 1968 in Switzerland when they were playing hours upon hours and upon hours. And, th- and a lot of that came from their jam session. So a lot of War Pigs was written before the- they recorded Black Sabbath. I'm shocked that did not make the original record, right? Right. I mean, it's so cool that they refined it and it got way better. But the genesis of that song was done in 1968 when they were doing a bunch of, which is why they did it in the seventies, but Ozzy would leave and the three guys were just jammed for fucking an hour straight because they had so much time to kill and didn't have the material. So they would just jam shit. And a lot of it was songwriting that would become a lot of these iconic songs that we know and love on their first three records. Yeah, it's amazing. But, you know, it definitely was the right decision. You know, I mean, it turned out to be that, like you said, the epic, iconic track that it is. Right. And maybe otherwise it wouldn't have been as good. So definitely a good decision to to hold it off for the next record. You know, another one like that, not Aussie related, but I was really shocked to read one day that November Rain was written before the release of Appetite for Destruction. Wow, that's shock. And uh, yeah, it's on the Appetite for Destruction box set that came out with like the demos and shit. And it's really good, but it's, it's extremely different, of course because it was such an early version but it was like whoa you know that's that's interesting also when uh sometimes when you have the foresight to hold on to a song just a little longer to make sure you get it right because you know the potential 
War Peaks definitely is the behemoth of the Black Sabbath catalog in my eyes. Absolutely. And I'll be honest, I think it is their best song. So when we do our list, we're doing our favorites. But I think War Pigs is Black Sabbath's best song. And I want to say a big fuck you to all these people that say Ozzy sings the guitar melody lines in Black Sabbath, which is very rare, to be honest. There's like maybe four songs that he does that in. But you look at the first two songs here, Black Sabbath and War Pigs. Those are all vocal melodies that Ozzy's really singing over space and really coming up with the meat of the fucking song. So again, Ozzy is equally important to these songs as anybody else. So fuck off. Yeah. I mean, okay, let's, let's, let's dance on that for a minute. So if you look at iconic Black Sabbath moments, right? So the dive bomb in Iron Man, that's one. Right, like it's it's huge. iconic things, huge. But Ozzy singing War Pigs is like probably the number two right behind that. Just that melody of him singing that to like you said to open space. Yeah. And that's all melody. It's all melody and delivery. And try to write a melody to Black Sabbath. It's so weird. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean the song Black yeah. Sabbath. And listen yeah. to what he came up with. That melody is fucking incredible on Black Sabbath, man. Yeah. God damn. So, Especially the outro uh, melody is yeah. it the MF, which is a little more easy to write to because it is a riff that at least yeah 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 but that first part it. it's yeah musically it's so crazy yeah there's so, just nothing really there yeah so. and the melody he came up with is incredible yeah so oh well I had to get on my soapbox for a minute all right up next we have the iconic Sweet Leaf from 1971 July 21st Black Sabbath's Master of Reality was released recorded earlier that same year and of course talk about iconic Black Sabbath moments that opening cough of Tony Iommi legitimately choking on a joint and coughing into the mic that they kept so cool so iconic he was sharing that joint with Ozzy by the way which is cool they were sharing a joint not Tony uh, coughed right into the microphone and it is Roger Bain just he's a genius man but the way he captured that and the way it comes in Sweet Leaf just wouldn't be the same without it yeah but a lot of people don't realize about Sweet Leaf it is fucking heavy I mean we all know the first two records are the first two metal records of all time but Master of Reality is clearly the first doom metal record of all time they finally tuned down to C sharp from Standard E because their first two records are in standard E and the heaviness is apparent right away. Sweet Leaf is so sludgy and slow and headbangy and again, another great melody. And Ozzy's able to start really, really raising his vocal melodies because they're tuning lower and that is an amazing melody that Ozzy comes up with again to start the record. An ode to marijuana, the song is about. They got it off of an Irish cigarette pack that said it's the Sweet Leaf which is really cool, but they decided to make it about pot and Geezer's lyrics here are so iconic and this is another one that'll last forever. This song will last forever among people that smoke pot because of how iconic the it's a love song to pot i mean it's so cool that uh, i'm not a pothead by any stretch of imagination and i'll be honest i've never even smoked pot but the fact that geezer thought instead of writing a love song let's write a love song to fucking pot it's iconic but the last thing i'll say about this track as cool as it all is that middle section where it's freeform jazz that the three guys do is one of the most incredible pieces of music in heavy metal history because it is freeform. And the fact that they're so tight on it is pretty fucking incredible because that is not 
easy to do. And those guys just knew each other so fucking well that Tony Geezer and Bill just knock it out of the park. I can't think of another song in rock that does something like that middle section of Sweet Leaf. And then it so quickly comes back to that doom part. And Bill is just going crazy again. Amazing. 100% agree, man. No other track has ever sounded like that. That section is just fucking just on its own fucking planet. No question. But, you know, going back, I'm with you, man. The fucking intro uh, 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 and the, the fucking do the little echo effect on it. And then you're then just right into that. And it's just so fucking you're instantly just like, God damn, it's fucking awesome. And that riff is fucking cool as shit, man. That's a great fucking that's a classic fucking Tony Army riff. This is so fucking cool. And again, there's Ozzy with those moments. All right, now, won't you listen? It's those things, like I said a minute ago, that you just glom onto with him. I'll be honest. I think War Pigs is Oh Lord Jarrah and All Right Now. I don't know if there's a more iconic line that Ozzy is known for than that. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. It's, it's those fucking moments that he just does that are just so fucking great. And you know that's unplanned. I don't know where that comes from. I don't know if that literally is just in the moment. I, I don't know. If it's written in advance, I don't know. But, man, those moments are just so fucking good. And that riff is just so fucking killer. But, you know, one thing about Sweet Leaf that I feel like doesn't get the credit that it deserves is how high Ozzy's singing on that track, man. They're tuned down so he can sing higher in a higher octave range. That he's fucking up there on that track, man. And the later versions, he kept trying to sing it that high live, and it was always kind of rough. But right. just a fucking great song, man. And just classic, classic, classic Black Sabbath. And there's not a whole lot more that I can add to what you've already said. What a great fucking song. And I'm so jealous of Andrew Watt when he was in the studio and he released that clip. They're all sitting around just fucking off. And Andrew Watt just starts playing Sweet Leaf and Ozzy starts singing. And you see like Rob Trujillo lights up and Chad Smith lights up. And they all just start jamming with him because Ozzy's singing it, you know. And I'm like, dude, I have dreams about doing shit like that with Ozzy one day. Just sitting there and fucking jamming on some shit like that. Like, that's so fucking cool. I want to tell a quick story on Sweet Leaf real quick while we're talking about it. So, one year at OzFest, there was an older couple in front of me. And when I say older, I was probably 20, so they might have been fucking 35. (laughs) But, in all sincerity, I think they were more around the 55, 60 range. And they sat there all day, man. And they didn't hardly move. They watched, like, I don't know, Slipknot and Mudvayne. I don't know who all played that fucking year. But you could tell they were clearly waiting on Black Sabbath. You know what I mean? Like, they just weren't there for that. And I'll never forget, they were right in front of me. And the minute the fucking lights went out and the siren started, I seen a boy pull a joint out of his pocket. Big old fatty. (laughs) He lights it up. And him and his wife sat there and they took that whole fucking thing. And they got done and they enjoyed some Sabbath. And about four or five songs later, they went into Sweet Leaf. And I'll never forget, I heard him look at his wife. He goes, damn it, baby, we should have saved it for Sweet Leaf. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought that was so fucking cool, man. Yeah, so when you were talking about how stoners love this track and always will, I thought about that moment. And I was like, yes, yeah, that is so fucking cool, man. Agreed. And I do want to just add one more thing on Sweet Leaf is how iconic is that fucking outro. Ozzy is just so goddamn good on the outro, man, with his vamping. And, yeah. and the, the irony is, is he never does it live, which drives me crazy. The only time he's ever done it live is on Speak of the Devil. That's why I fucking love it. But I just think that outro is one of his most yeah. shining moments in Black Sabbath. Yeah. I want your part of me, sweetly. Yeah. It's so, yeah that's oh, cool shit. yeah. It's there so we go. Good. We got one out of Dan. Yeah. yeah. It's so good. I mean, it gives me chills. That outro, fucking gold. 
So that brings us to the Volume 4 album, released in 1972. And the opening track on Volume 4 is The Mighty Wheels of Confusion. I fucking love this song, man. I don't know what it is about this one. It's always been near the top of my Sabbath fandom. And the main thing I love about it is just those fucking opening bends that Tony's playing on the guitar, man. And they sound slightly out of key, just a little. They're not. But it's almost like Ozzy's voice sometimes where it's just almost there. Then it's kind of there. Then it's kind of, I don't know. I just love how they play off the fucking riff. I just love the tone of his guitar right there, man. It sounds so fucking good. Wheels of Confusions also goes back to the kind of the war pig style of epic type track. You know, it's, it's long. It's about seven minutes or so. I, I'm guessing off the top of my head, but something like that. And 802. it has 802. Okay. Well, there you go. Eight minutes. That last section of the song that goes to the instrumental, I just fucking love it, man. I just think it's a great song and really set a tone for volume four that the rest of the album would follow of what it would sound like because this has the volume four sound. And I fucking love this one, man. Yeah, this is one of their most underrated tracks. Good call. And I fucking love that ending, man. It, it is so cool. It's kind of like kind of like what he does at the end of War Pigs a little bit, but you know, slower, heavier. But I think that's kind of the vibe he was going for, right? For I'll sure. I'll tell you. I actually love some of the outtakes that they did on the super deluxe version of this. Cause it's not all, all of Tony's overdubs aren't on there and you can really hear that intro really, really clear. And I love what he's playing. I almost wish he didn't play that little intro at the beginning. And I know we've talked about it before and you don't agree. I would have almost loved it better if he doesn't play that little lead at the very beginning of the song. Cause what he's playing behind it is fucking killer. And you could clearly hear it on one of the outtakes on the Super Deluxe version. Yeah, it's like a descending little lick. Yeah, like it's so goddamn good. But my ears always go to that, you know, that little lead part that that's yeah. so iconic. Again, I think the star of the show here is actually Geezer. I'm, I'm just going to share a couple of lyrics to this song because they're brilliant. They are fucking brilliant. Long ago, I wandered through my mind. Again, I just say that line. I. I get goosebumps because Ozzy's melody is so good. In the land of fairy tales and stories, lost in happiness, I knew no fears. Innocence and love was all I knew. It was an illusion. Right away, we're talking like somebody young, just really hasn't lived life. And that second verse, soon the days were passing into years. Happiness just didn't come so easy. Life was more than fairy tales and daydreams. Innocence was just another word. It was an illusion. Geezer is a right. god, man. Who cannot Geezer's relate? <laughs> Who cannot relate to that? Honestly, yeah. it's so good. And then I'm just going to state the last line of the song. The world will still be turning when you're gone. Yeah, when you're gone. I mean, it's just, it's really, really heavy, man. And I mean that from a, a lyrical standpoint. Of course, the song is, of course, heavy. But what Geezer and Ozzy do together is unlike anything. Because... We all know Ozzy writes the melody and then Geezer has to write his lyrics based on the melody Ozzy has. And Ozzy's very particular. It has to match his fucking melody. And the fact that Geezer came out with this poetry to it is unbelievable. It seems seems inhuman, doesn't it? Like, how the fuck do you do this? Like, how the fuck? And and I think that's that's what I think Black Sabbath has over so long. It's literally down to every syllable. Yeah. You know, people work with Ozzy. No, it's down to every syllable. Like, his you got to have it right in there, every syllable. And it's amazing. And Ozzy's delivery, yeah, when you're gone. I mean, this is so fucking good, man. But he's hot. Oh, God. He's really high now. We are starting the stratosphere Ozzy. So I will say this. I think volume four 
has aged maybe the best out of all of their records. It is fucking incredible. It's hard to rank these records because they're all so good, but I will tell you, Volume 4 gets a lot of love for me as I've gotten older. It might not on my ranking. I don't want to give anything away, but they stopped using Roger Bain. They're more in charge of the production. Tony is taking more of the load on his shoulders, and you could hear them really expanding their songwriting. These are no longer basic rock metal songs, which is what they were originally killed for and crucified for by the media, that the songs were too simple. I, I tell you, these songs have gotten way more complex by volume four. Yeah, no question. And by volume four, you're even starting to add in, like you have changes, you know, things like that also, which are way more sensitive. And there's not much you can say about that from a standpoint of being critical that they're too simple or, or, or too one-sided. You know what I mean? Like this is a very different kind of track also, not to get off on that, but just volume four is where the growth definitely started to begin to expand their horizons to other sounds for no question about it. Which brings us to where they really expanded their horizons, which is with their fifth album, Sabbath Bloody Sabbath released on December 1st, 1973. Dan here was about to turn one years old. I was alive. Finally, I got to be honest, man. I think this could make an argument as the greatest riff of all time. We all know Tony was suffering from writer's block after volume four, and he just had nothing in the tank. And this is the riff that really opened up the floodgates and what a riff it is. I just think it's fucking phenomenal. I mean, I think it's the ultimate headbanger. It's such a killer, heavy song. Again, tuned to C sharp. Ozzy is in another stratosphere vocally. He's even higher. I think he's higher here than he ever is. God, it's either here or sabotage. It's their neck and neck on, on which record he's higher on vocally. You know, a lot of people criticize this track because it wasn't played live during their heyday. I thought it was great that they brought it back in Reunion. Ozzy had originally played it live in 1997, I want to say, 95, 96, that era yeah, right there. 96, I, yeah. Yeah, and it was great. And I love what he did. He kind of changed the melody so it wasn't a whole octave higher. He brought it down a step, something that Randy would have helped him do. So it's great seeing him do that, uh, you know, later in his career. But I, I don't know if there is a better song than Sabbath Bloody Sabbath in their whole catalog from the, the riff, the chorus, you know, Sabbath doesn't have a lot of choruses. We've talked about this on the show, but God almighty, the chorus to the song gives me goosebumps okay. and the outro. It is incredible. That's maybe one of the heaviest moments in music history. Wouldn't you agree that that outro Absolutely. is unlike anything I've ever really heard before. Geezer had talked about that the lyrics to Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath were about Sabbath's experiences, the ups and downs, the good times and bad times, getting ripped off by managers, the business side of it all, bog blast all of you, which when I was a kid, I actually thought he said, God bless all of you. I, you know, because Ozzy used to say, God bless you. God bless you. I love you all. You know, I always thought that's what he was saying, uh, but it was actually bog blast. So it's kind of interesting that geezer is talking about critics on that which is really really cool but again that chorus is really really I iconic and ozzy sound great when he did it on reunion when they do that chorus don't you agree the you know the nobody will ever let you know when when you ask the reasons why yes oh, sounds great God. it sounds and fucking really great. that version of sabbath bloody sabbath in general is fucking great if you listeners aren't overly familiar with that one go listen to it ozzy changes the melodies man and it's not that they're better. They're just really fucking good also. <laughs> so it's like, it's it's a great version of that song. Yeah, agreed. Absolutely. It's definitely one of the most iconic songs in their canon. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've been 
at a concert and, you know, people behind me be like, oh, they're not going to play Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath. And I thought, nope, they are not. Because I knew Ozzy couldn't sing it at that point. But, right. you know, again, what a great start to an iconic record. And what more can you say about Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath? I'll tell you what I can say about it. Where can you run to? God damn, it's fucking the shit right there, man. <laughs> what more can you do? It's like when he gets into that section, that last half of the song that you said earlier might be the heaviest moment in recorded history. That riff is just so fucking badass. Dun, 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 And then into Ozzy singing that melody. That melody is so fucking good. But I love that they let him struggle to hit those notes because you can hear him giving every fucking ounce of what he has to hit that fucking note. It's everything he's got. And I fucking love it. That section of the song makes the song for me as a whole. I mean, the whole song's fucking great, but like I, that's the part I wait for every fucking time. But that said, that main riff again, dun, 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 it's just so fucking good. Tony is the best in the world at taking the simplest fucking riff and making it the coolest shit on earth, man. Like it seems so simple, but it's not like it's, if it was so simple, we all would do it. Right. Right. And there's nothing complicated about the Sabbath, bloody Sabbath riff, but it's so fucking great, man. And I really like Tony's tone on this one. Also, his tone's really good, but the idea to go down to a clean tone course, I'm like you, that was just fucking genius, man. I absolutely fucking love it. And that, that definitely stands the song apart from the rest of Black Sabbath's catalog. Agreed. I think it makes the song, to be honest. I mean, I know like Pixies and Nirvana are all known for that loud, heavy, loud, loud stuff. But, you know, really Sabbath nailed it on that because it's not like Stairway to Heaven where the first five minutes is mellow and then the ending, it rocks. You know, this is, hey, we're going to knock your fucking head off. The chorus is going to be mellow and then we're knocking your head off right again. So it's definitely a different arrangement. And I think not oftenly utilized by 1973 yeah absolutely so that brings us to sabotage released july 28th 1975 and it opens of course with the ever powerful hole in the sky hole in the sky man instant fucking smack in the face right you hear the little bit of banter at the beginning straight into that fucking riff that song never fucking lets up, nor does that fucking album. We all know how much Dan and I love Sabotage. This was the perfect track to open that record because it has that fucking energy straight from the fucking star Ozzy. Again, much like Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, getting even higher in his vocal range there. And it's fucking up there, dude. It's just a fucking iconic Sabbath song, man. It was one that they always played a lot live back in the 70s. Yep. And it's just fucking powerful. Nothing fancy about it. Just fucking good, straight up fucking hard rock. And Ozzy's singing his fucking balls off. I love it. Yeah, I would have to say this is definitely one of the most iconic riffs again Tony ever came up with. I'd love to fucking play it. It is such a headbanger. I think it has such an iconic opening, too, with the band in the studio. And then you hear Bill count it in. One, two, three. I mean, it just has such a live feel. I mean, I think what the band was trying to go for for Sabotage is getting back to just being, you know, nuts and bolts. But it's way more complex than the early stuff, obviously. Even though they all claim, especially Ozzy, Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath is their favorite record. You could just clearly tell, obviously, they're angry because they're dealing with Patrick Meehan and all that bullshit. And, you know, they're getting writs sent to them in the recording studio. So the anger comes through in the recording, not only in the music, but in Ozzy's vocal delivery. The thing I love about Hole in the Sky, Ozzy's not just high here. He's got this gravel and gruffness to him Mm -hmm. that he just doesn't have often. 
but it is on fire throughout this whole record. And it, and it's not captured any better than the opening track. Some great lyrics. I'm not quite sure what this song is about, quite honestly. You know, I don't know if it's someone about ascending to heaven. I'm not quite sure. But there's some cool lyrics. I'm looking through a hole in the sky. I'm seeing nowhere through the eyes of a lie. Really, really cool stuff. My favorite line was always, I've watched the dogs of war enjoying their feast. I've seen the Western world go down in the East. Really, really cool, man. The food of love became the greed of our time. And now we're living, I think he says, on the prophets of rhyme. But most people think it's the prophets of crime. But that's what makes Black Sabbath 70s, Black Sabbath so cool, is some of those lyrics are open for interpretation. Yeah, a little bit of debate there. I, I think it's, I always thought it was crime. Listen next but, time. I think he says rhyme. But I'm you like know. you, you know, I, I never knew exactly what the song was about either, but I do think descending into heaven's kind of, you know, hole in the sky, the gateway to heaven, window in time, through it, I'll fly. Right. So, I mean, it seems to me like that's what it's about. I'm leaving in a room without any view. I'm leaving free because the rents never do. I mean, what's that got to do with fucking going to heaven? So- Nothing. <laughs> well, I wonder if it has to do with, I think this is some stuff towards Patrick Meehan, right? Yeah. Because they didn't have to pay rent because they didn't own the fucking houses. He right, did, right. You know, he owned and then everything. Yeah. The food of love became the greed of our time, and now we're living on the. That's why I think it's on the prophets of rhyme because they were raping his fucking lyrics. So right. I do the, think the, there the melody in the lyric, yeah, yeah. So I do think there is a little bit of his venom towards Patrick Meehan, which is all over this fucking record. Listeners, let you know what you think. I'm going to really analyze what Ozzy says at the end there. I'll listen to some live versions too, but. What a cool song. Kind of a, a, a laid-back guitar solo for Tony. He does that harmony, which I enjoy because it's different. You know, he does the same thing on National Acrobat, too, which is kind of cool. So I like the fact that Tony is showing some diversity here. Overall, I love the tempo. It is a punch in the face. Maybe more than any song they do. As great of a riff Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath is, but it's heavier. It's a little bit more sludgier. Hole in the Sky's got that tempo, and you know right away you're punched right in the mouth going, Fuck, Sabbath is not fucking around here. Yeah, I agree totally, man. It comes out and punches you from the fucking start. Agreed. I, it also has got an odd time signature, which is pretty cool. I think it's in 12-8 time signature, which is a little bit different. The only knock I could really say about the song, I'm not a big fan of the ending. I wish they would have just ended it tight instead of, it almost sounds like the tape ends, right? Yeah, I just wish they would have ended tight like Black Sabbath did. That's the only knock I could really say on an outstanding song. Yeah, it's a little bit awkward. That brings us to Technical Ecstasy, released September 25th, 1976, with the very up-tempo Backstreet Kids. Now, this is a fun song, again, super up-tempo. So I think we're starting to see a little bit of a pattern here in the late 70s with Black Sabbath. I think they're starting to become a little bit more modern, what modern was in the late 70s, which is, I think they were trying to emulate Foreigner and a couple of other bands. And I think Backstreet Kids kind of has that vibe to it a little bit. It's a little bit more rock than metal. It's got a killer riff. And I think it's a sign of the times. I think the whole album is kind of a sign of the times. I I do love though, I'm not going to lie, the bridge. And I think it's one of Ozzy's coolest moments. And that's living life comes easy if you know which way you're going. Got to see yourself in others' eyes. Surprised? Living like I want to. Don't come easy, but I'm trying. Sorting out what's true and what are lies. It's wise. Great lyrics by Geezer, but an even better melody by Ozzy. I would have to say that is the standout moment. I think all of Tony's solos are fantastic here. So I think Tony is 
elevating his level as a player here on Technical Ecstasy. I've always said that. I think this is his start of a, a whole nother level from a, a musicianship. And I've also uh, also said Technical Ecstasy is the first album where we get the modern Ozzy voice. This is definitely Ozzy sounding like early 1980s Ozzy. You know, you listen to Dirty Woman, you listen to Backstreet Kids, it's starting to sound a lot more like solo Ozzy voice. Like you finally got it down where he was going to go in the future. To me, that makes Technical Ecstasy a little bit special because it's really got that modern Ozzy voice. But a solid song, cool riffs, but that bridge, fucking on point. Yeah, I agree totally with everything you're saying. And the modern Ozzy sound is something we harp on in this show a lot. I agree totally. When you think Ozzy's solo tone, that began right here with Technical Ecstasy going forward, in my opinion. Backstreet Kids, man. It's a, just a fun, radio-friendly kind of style Black Sabbath track. Like you said, trying to keep up with Foreigner and some of those other bands of the era to be just a little bit easier to listen to. The lyrics are so simple, they're great. I'm just another Backstreet Kid. Rock and roll music is the only thing I really dig. Can't stop the music going around inside of my head. I'm a rock and roll soldier. going to play it until I'm dead. Those are lyrics that any of us could write. That, that's not the poetry that Geezer has done in the past. But yeah, the same I wonder time, if Ozzy helped. You know, I've always felt like he's heavy-handed in this yeah, one. Me too. But I don't know that, so I didn't want to. Yeah, it, it could be. Ozzy yeah. does talk about being a backstreet kid a lot. I've heard him say that in interviews. So I wouldn't be surprised if Ozzy came up with the the consensus of the song and geezer filled in the blanks yeah or ozzy writes the first couple lines and then geezer yeah. goes from there right which is you know because they are simple the simplicity is what makes them great also right like this is the cool fucking little fun song but like you said that bridge definitely is the linchpin of the whole track it's so fucking cool man i love this the song title backstreet kids and you know the song says i'm a backstreet kid the track is called Backstreet Kids. Of course, referring to all Black Sabbath being the, the Birmingham bunch. You know what I mean? And it's just, I don't know. It's just a fun little track. Great radio-friendly song. The lyrics are fine, but that, like you said, that melody on that bridge is absolutely what brings it all home. It's so fucking killer. Yeah, and if you look at the lyrics, Josh, I think you're onto something here. Listen to how simple the early stuff is. I'm just another Backstreet Kid. The rock and roll music is the only thing I really dig. I, I guarantee you that's Ozzy's fucking line that he did when he was making up the melody, right? Because it's just Ozzy. It's so simple. But then later on in the song, you got stuff like writing about the stars and thinking about the hand of doom. And then we got brought up in a back street living with the salt of the land. Seems that my music's paying off my tax demands. Again, another rip on how music is. He's getting fucked with, with writing lyrics and everything. That's totally geezer. But that early stuff, I'm just a rock and roll soldier going to play it until I'm dead. That, that, that seems more like Ozzy. That screams so, Ozzy. Even the line you mentioned earlier, you know, when you said living life comes easy if you know which way you're going, got to see yourself in other's eyes surprised. Like that line that you mentioned earlier, that's very geezerish also. Like no question, that's got geezer all over it. But right. like you said, that first section, it just it does it just, it just screams Aussie, no question about it. See, I actually think that kind of screams Aussie a little bit. You think so? Yeah. I it, don't know, man. I don't know. That see yourself in others' eyes, surprised. I don't know. Something in my brain goes to flying high again for some reason. I, I, I don't know, man. I think it's a combination of the two. We don't know. I'd have to look that up. But Yeah, they, they could have been sitting beside each other. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Leaving well, like I want to don't come easy, because I'm, but I'm trying. That sounds Aussie-ish. Sorting out the truth and what's all lies is wise. That sounds like geezer. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> right. Exactly. You know. Or Geezer just had tape of what Ozzy originally did and just decided, hey, I'll keep that and write write some stuff around. Yeah. That which makes a lot of sense. But right? totally fun track, man. And I think everyone digs that one. Technical ecstasy is very, very underrated. No question. Even the marvelous, it's all right. 
Yeah, I listened I to love, that this week. I matter of fact, song, man. I fucking love. I love Tony playing the fucking Spanish guitar in it. Motherfucker is fucking badass, dude. All right, and that brings us to the September twenty eighth, nineteen seventy eight release of Never Say Die, Black Sabbath's eighth studio album, and the opening track for Never Say Die is, believe it or not, Never Say Die. So obviously, Never Say Die is definitely a turning point in Black Sabbath lore. I mean, it, it begins a little bit with technical ecstasy, as we said to men to go with Backstreet Kids and some of these. But Never Say Die is, to me, easily the most radio friendly of all the tracks we've discussed today. They played it on top of the pops, you know, so it definitely has that TV radio friendly vibe to it. It's not overly long, a quick guitar solo. But man, it has so much fucking energy. Like this song is just so fun to listen to, fun to play on guitar, simple, but it's the energy that brings it this track for me. And you know, don't you ever have to worry. Again, great fucking melodies. I mean, you know, when you do an Ozzy Osbourne podcast, it's so hard not to be repetitive about how great the fucking melodies are, but these melodies is, is what's built his career. No two ways about it, right? Yep. His character and his voice and his tone and his fucking melodies. And that's what we've had for 52 years that we still keep coming back to. Never Say Die, man. Just a fun track that I know you and I are both pretty big on. I fucking love this one, too. Well, say you. Ugh. I absolutely fucking love this song, man. It is incredible. Matter of fact, it and I won't go into reasons why, but it's really special because it it's special to me and my brothers. And bonding as family, as kids, this song is really special to us. Never Say Die is the first album I bought by Black Sabbath. You know, I'd gotten into Ozzy in 81, and I went back and I started buying all the Black Sabbath records. And not knowing anything, the first one I bought was Never Say Die because it was the newest record by Black Sabbath with Ozzy, of course. I'm going to state because I was all about Ozzy. And it has and a cool fucking cover. It does have a cool fucking cover. And I fucking love it. Me and Josh talked about this earlier today. Never Say Die is my most listened to Black Sabbath album. Don't know why. It's probably nostalgia, but it is on all the fucking time. And it is an incredible record front to back. I love everything about it. But the song Never Say Die is the best song off the record. It has got a great energy to it. Again, another song they're, they're opening their record with with outstanding energy. Really simple riff, like you said. It's A, B, D, A, right? Super simple. Yep. But, and I didn't know this for years until I saw that tremendous live version off of their 10th anniversary special. Tony changes the riff at the end, after the bridge, after Don't You Ever Say Die, Never Say Die, and he comes back in with painting silver linings, writings on the wall, Tony does this really cool fucking boogie that nobody, Brad Gillis didn't play it on, on Speak of the Devil. I've never seen a guitar player who's covered the song play it, and it is so fucking good. So when you're listening to the song next time, after the bridge, listen closely. Tony plays this cool fucking riff that really is unspoken and unappreciated, and it's just so good good i can tell you who did play it josh Josh crumb when he was 15 years old (laughs) in his fucking bedroom with his friends jeremy cheney and matt phillips fucking rocking this song i've done this song live when i was like 16 years old at a talent show but and you played that boogie riff right fucking damn right i did that's right man yes you got it the cool thing about this is also, it took me years to really understand what some of, Oz, some of the lines Ozzy said. And I'll tell you which one. For years. Because again, this album did not have the lyric sheet in it. I didn't have the internet. I was forced to listen to these songs to try to figure out what was being said. Searching for a reason, looking for a rhyme, I knew. But 
Snow White's mirror said partners in crime. Fuck, did I have no idea that's what he said. Me either. So when I learned that lyric for the first time, I was like, oh, and I figured it out on the live video. I bought that live video from a warehouse records. I saw it there. The v- I'm sorry, the VHS tape. And I was like, holy shit, I didn't even know this existed. I begged the guy to buy it because they were renting it. He'll let me buy it off him. Imagine the mid 80s, no internet, nothing. That was my first time really seeing Black Sabbath live. And it was such a great experience. So that that live show means a lot to me. But that's when I figured it out was that live show. I was like, holy shit. He said, Snow White's mirror said. Big moment in my life. What but- did you used to think it said? Because I... I also misinterpreted this lyric for fucking decades. I can't even remember anymore. I always thought it said, no one's innocent partners. Yeah, 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 yeah. No one's innocent. That's even what my guitar book said, to be honest, Josh. And I knew it wasn't right. So I I didn't know what he said, to be honest. But my guitar book said, no one's innocent partners in crime. And I just knew it didn't sound right. I was always on the hunt for what he said there. Killer, killer fucking song. I love the melody, man. The chorus is great. That ending guitar solo, fucking brilliant. Again, we talked about on Technical Ecstasy. Tony's on another level here on these last two records. I don't give a fuck what anybody says. They can rip on them to pieces. But Tony's lead playing is a whole step above what he had been doing. And this and Johnny Blade in particular are fucking incredible. So a lot of people don't realize. Think about this, guys. And we're going to do a deep dive on Never Say Die someday because I'm super passionate about it. But they had written a record with Dave Walker, a few songs. And Ozzy refused to sing them. He basically said, I'm not singing anything that he wrote. So they had to rewrite. So like Junior, you can find a version of Junior's Eyes out there. It wasn't called Junior's Eyes, but we call it Junior's Eyes because it became Junior's Eyes. Geezer wrote those lyrics about Ozzy's dad. So it made it personal to Ozzy. They wrote Swinging the Chain and Bill had written the lyrics to that. But Ozzy just let Bill sing it because he thought, fuck it, Bill wrote it there. Let's just do it. They were writing songs in the day in Toronto. It was fucking freezing when they were recording this record. They would have to write the songs during the day and record them at night. The record label wanted the record. So they were in a rush and they were recording in uh, Sounds Interchange Studios in Toronto. And they were under a shit ton of pressure. Tony has talked about how they called the album Never Say Die because it was uh, ironic. He was using irony because he knew the days were over. He would say he would eye roll on stage when Ozzy would talk about and we hope we're together for another 10 and another 10. He knew the days were gone, that Ozzy was just not into it anymore. But so they called the record Never Say Die is kind of an irony. Again, the fact that these guys were writing these songs in the day and recording them that night, they didn't have eight months or years to polish these songs. It just goes to show you the talent of these guys and the chemistry and the magic they had. Fucking outstanding. Never say die. <laughs> Matter of fact, yep. I didn't know that was Ozzy on record as a kid either <laughs> until the live video. So that was another thing I learned off the live video. I was always like, oh, I wonder who's saying that at the end. Nah, it was Ozzy. It's Ozzy. You know, the line in that song that I always liked, and it's just real short snippet line. But I just, I'll, Truth is on the doorstep. Welcome in the lie. Oh, I so love good. that line, man. Yeah. Isn't that kick ass? It is amazing. He's you know. just a god, dude. I mean, that is such a fucking cool line, man. It's a great fucking song, man. Great song. And the live version you mentioned earlier, when Tony does that rhythm on the last verse, when they go back into the jam at the end and Ozzy's just clapping and dancing and jamming with Tony, like that's my favorite moment in recorded history for Black Sabbath. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that moment. (laughs) I, I think it's maybe my favorite live moment ever. Yeah, for Period. real, like, it's yeah. fucking great, dude. And Ozzy's just fucking, he, he's, he's like, he's stepping, he's clapping his hands and just jamming with Tony. And Tony's standing there like a fucking god, just playing this little simple little dick over and over, man. And Geezer's 
fucking going nuts and Bill's going nuts and it's just fucking it's Black Sabbath, dude. It's just fucking Black Sabbath. I love it. Of course, Josh and I are going to include the mighty fucking 13. We have to, Josh, right? you damn right. That's right. Released June 10th in 2013. We have Black Sabbath's ninth album with the mighty Ozzy Osbourne called 13 with the opening track, End of the Beginning. Eight minutes and five seconds. This song is really fucking cool, and I'll tell you why I love it. Only Black Sabbath can do a song like this. It's got three distinct fucking parts, which is so goddamn cool and so Black Sabbath. It has that opening intro that's very similar to Black Sabbath. It's got that up-tempo, release your mind. Really, really cool parts. And of course, it's got You Don't Want to Be a Robot Ghost line, which is fucking my favorite part of the song. So, you know, which is kind of Dirty Woman, right? A little bit. But three distinct fucking parts. The song is written about Doctor Who, written by Geezer, originally performed on CSI. A small snippet of it, which I think we were all waiting. Was that before the album actually came out, Josh? I think it was. I think it was actually, like right before, yeah. like maybe just days, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, you and I and Ryan had the live version in New Zealand that all of those early tracks that that showed up on yeah. YouTube. I remember being on vacation, knowing that they were going to perform live, of course, stopping what I was doing to listen to it on YouTube. And I thought those versions were good. Ozzy sounds good, at least on End of the Beginning, for sure. I think that's yeah. the highlight from those shows. Again, I think great guitar work. You know, a lot of people are going to bitch. It sounds a lot like Black Sabbath. But duh, it was their reunion, man. They wanted to sound like Black Sabbath. But I think the production is pretty cool. I really admire the fact that Ozzy is singing melodies here that he could do live. You know, he's pushing himself. People that claim that he is not pushing himself, I want you to go right now and sing the you don't want to be a robot ghost occupied inside a human host part. And with that, I don't want to see you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You hit those notes and come talk to me, buddy. Yeah, and exactly. Me, Ozzy's not pushing himself here. He sounds fucking killer. Love it. I love the melodies again. And my favorite part of the song is definitely the ending. Yeah, the, the outro solo is fucking great, man. It is great. Yeah, but I meant the, I'm sorry, I meant the ending with the mellow part with the vocals. The yeah, that thing. part too. That whole yeah. thing, starting with you oh, don't want to be a robot man. ghost through the ending because Tony Solo is awesome. I can remember being at the beach. I was in Myrtle Beach in South Carolina. And this album came out. And I, of course, fucking waited my whole life for it, right? I mean, it's fucking new Black Sabbath. Waited my whole fucking life. I was born in 1980. Turning on this track and hearing that slow intro, which is, you know, in my mind, I'm going, okay, they're clearly going for a Black Sabbath thing here. And I had heard the live version a little bit, but I, I, and I did hear that, but I stayed away also. Like I heard it like once or something. Like I refused to listen to it too much. Once that opening part, the sludgy part stopped and Tony goes to the other if you know and I just fucking chills went from the top of my head to my fucking toes and it still fucking does when I hear that section because that is fucking black goddamn Sabbath and I was like fuck yes let's go and I literally could have fucking jumped off the fucking balcony but this song, man, I've always thought it should have been the lead single for this album. I've said that for years. Uh, it just it speaks for what the album sounds like and what the sound. Age of Reasons, right there with it. Also, Age of Reasons, probably the best song of the of the group. But end of the beginning to me would have been a great fucking lead single. God is Dead won a Grammy and it did great, but I don't know. This song just speaks more to what the album sounds like. Like you said earlier, so many distinctly different parts. 
and I call them movements, right? That, that, that's the best way to describe Black Sabbath songs. They go to movements, almost like a classical composer. And this song clearly has three separate movements. Yeah, like you said earlier, there's, they don't do a lot of choruses. It's, they're very non-traditional. Right. You know, with technical ways to see in that era, they kind of did get more to choruses. But yeah, great fucking set of lyrics also, man, that clearly Geezer's a poet. We've mentioned it a million times. And he's writing, you know, the song's kind of about technology, right? Is technology taking over the world? And yeah. it kind of fucking is. I mean, people are losing their jobs every day to check out, you know, you know, systems at Walmart without fucking workers and shit like that. And computers, man, before long, computers could own the fucking world. And I think that's what the song's kind of about. And I fucking get it, man. Another great set of lyrics. Let's hope. In this case, Geezer isn't as correct 52 years from now as he was on War Peaks. <laughs> <laughs> that is for damn sure. So you heard so, it here first. Let's just hope computers don't take over the world. But you're right. I'm almost sure this is about Doctor Who or inspired by Doctor Who. All right. So that was fun, man. That was great. I'm ready to share my list, and I can't wait to hear yours. I, I think we're going to be fairly close, but I, I know I have one song a little higher than you, and my gut feeling tells me you have one song higher than me. Yeah, definitely a fun episode, and I'm excited to talk a little 13. I'm really anxious for us to do a deep dive on 13. Yes. 13 and Never See Die are probably going to be our first two deep dives in Black Sabbath because those are two albums we really have discussed that we want to talk about. And even just discussing End of the Beginning for a moment here tonight has been really fun because we really haven't got to mention that album very much at all. I agreed. That one, I think the 13 deep dive is going to be sooner than later. I mean, we just got to get through all the Aussie New stuff, of course, but I agree. I think Deep Dive for 13 is high on the list. All right, man. That said, are you ready to reveal your list? I am. All right. I will start. So here we are. We're ranking the way we like them, not not what we consider is the best song. So my number nine, and again, we're going to give the preamble here, and I just got to give this real quick. I fucking love all of these songs. These are openers for Black Sabbath albums. They're all fucking incredible. So incredible. these songs I have down on the list, I apologize, but they're all so good. And there's just no other place for them. So my number nine is Backstreet Kids from Technical Ecstasy. Okay, so far we are on par. Number nine for me, Backstreet Kids, Technical Ecstasy. My number eight, as much as I love it, is End of the Beginning from The Mighty 13. Okay, my number eight is going to shock folks, and I do apologize, but it is Sweet Leaf for Master of Reality. All right. Okay. That's crazy. I know. I know. But Not as crazy as you'd think. My number seven is Sweet Leaf from Master of Reality. Okay. So, see that? Okay. Not, not too bad. All right. Number seven for me is Never Say Die from Never Say Die. Uh, uh, I just got a pain in my back. <laughs> it's because you're uh -huh. old. <laughs> it has nothing Fuck to do her. with this list. No, 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 no. That was, that was my body telling me you're fucked. All right. <laughs> My number six is Wheels of Confusion from Volume 4. All right. Coming in at number six for me from the album 13 in 2013 is the wonderful End of the Beginning. Ooh, good choice. My number five, which might surprise some people, is the amazing Heavy Doomy debut Black Sabbath from Black Sabbath. Ooh, yeah, that might surprise a lot of people. I don't know if it surprises me because my number five is also... Black Sabbath from Black Sabbath. Nice. Gosh, I think that is going to surprise a lot of people. I bet you Black Sabbath is going to be higher on a lot of other lists. For sure. My number four is the iconic punch in the face, hole in the sky from my favorite Black Sabbath album, Sabotage. 
good choice. In at number four for me is kind of my sleeper, and that is Wheels of Confusion from Volume 4. I probably could have done Black Sabbath and Wheels of Confusion. I could have swapped those possibly, but I kind of like the shock factor of Wheels of Confusion at four, so I'm sticking with it. I love it, man. That is a great selection. I knew that was going to be high on your list, dude. Yeah, I'm big on that one. So this is where I'm. my sleeper comes in. It literally could be at the top of the list for me, but I don't want to piss people off, so I'm going to stay here at number three. But this is my most listened to Black Sabbath song in their catalog. And my number three is Never Say Die from their last Never album. Never Say Die. Die. Sorry. Well, that's okay. <laughs> I love it. Actually, from their last album from the original run. So my number three, Never Say Die. Yeah, I know you're big on that one. I knew it would definitely be up there for you. Number three for me is The Powerful Hole in the Sky from Sabotage. Undeniable. So we're still on par, pretty close to each other. Yeah, for sure. So the top two are clearly amazing, but I'm going to go number two. What I consider their best song is War Pigs off of Paranoid. I understand it's not my number one, but it's iconic. It's amazing. The lyrics are fantastic, but I just enjoy one just a smidge more. But War Pigs, my number two. Hard to argue with, man. All right, number two for me is the iconic Sabbath Bloody Sabbath. This is so fucking great, man. Number two for me, Black Sabbath, Sabbath Bloody Sabbath. And that is my number one. Sabbath Bloody Sabbath, that riff, it just goes over the top for me. And to me, it's a rebirth for Black Sabbath since Tony was struggling with Rider's Block. And I just think it's amazing the album they came up with. So my number one, Sabbath Bloody Sabbath. Yeah, it's so fucking good, man. It's really hard to argue it, but I will. Number one for me is the iconic, the legendary War Pigs. From the sirens all the way down to the tape. <laughs> fucking love it, man. It is nothing but fucking metal goodness. And Black Sabbath's War Pigs, to me, is the best song they ever put out. So, number one for me is War Pigs. Yeah, I mean, it's undeniable. Great choice, Josh. And I got to tell you... This was really hard. Like we talked about earlier in the show, this was harder than doing the Ozzy solo album openers. There's just something so consistent about Black Sabbath. And I don't think Black Sabbath has the lows that solo Ozzy has. You know, we're both bigger fans of solo Ozzy, but for me personally, Black Sabbath is just more consistent. They don't have those lows. They might not have the same highs, but they're like that boxer that's going to go 12 rounds, give you everything you got, beat the shit out of you. But they're so consistent, and that's what yeah, Black Sabbath's catalog is. And they're is. still standing. Yeah, yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with that also is the album lengths. You know, they're just about 35, 40 minutes long versus now they're an hour, hour 10. No and question. I think that plays in also on, on the consistency with really all the bands from the era, right? But yeah. no doubt, Black Sabbath, man, from track one to track eight, they are always solid as fuck. And there's never a track you really want to skip through. I agree, and I, I'd have to say... I think 35 to 40 minutes is the perfect length for a record. And if you look no at all question. our favorite records growing up, that's it, man. Just like you said. No question. Eight tracks or so really is all. Don't get me wrong. Me and Dan, like the new Ozzy record, if it's 27 tracks, that's perfect. Yeah, he's the exception. <laughs> Not <laughs> but the at the same time, yeah. yeah, the album's typically 40 minutes is where, where they should be at, man, for all bands. No question about it. Yeah, agreed. So, hey, I just want to let everybody know, please follow us on social media. You know, we're trying to get our podcast out there. The more you could spread the word, we'd really appreciate it. Please give us a follow. We're doing our best to try to share as much information with you as possible in the world of Ozzy. Yeah, absolutely, man. We work hard to make sure we are the first or one of the first to post everything going out there in the world of Ozzy. And we have oftentimes been the first. And sometimes thanks to you guys for sending us links or sending us something, some a tidbit of news that someone said on an interview or something. And we really can't thank you guys enough and encourage you to keep doing that. Add us on Instagram. 
Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, subscribe, all that fun stuff. Cause the show really is growing and it's getting to where Dan and I, we're going to pat ourselves on the back for a second, but we're starting to get messages and comments from people who we're discussing on the show. It's very gratifying to That's discuss so cool. a person on the, on the, on the show. And then literally within 24 hours, they've messaged us about the show and told us that they loved our opinion or this or that. That's really fucking cool. So the reach is definitely getting out there. But you guys continue to keep sharing it and getting it out there even more and more because the more and more it gets out there, the bigger it's going to get. Absolutely. No question. And I just want to say, if you guys hear anything, please send it to Josh and I so and to the to the show so we can get it out there to all our listeners. That's something that we really, really want to be on the forefront of. We want to be the Aussie news front. So if you hear yeah. anything, please send it our way. Listen, thank you for your patience. It's just going to turn up real fast now. I think the information is going to start coming quick. And we're going to be on it and we're going to be doing quick shows with all these news informations, new songs, all the shit that comes out. Just prepare yourselves. Josh and I will be all over it. Absolutely. And when the avalanche starts and once this first single drops, there will be an avalanche. Dan and I have talked about going live on Facebook, maybe live on Instagram, whatever, to talk to you guys directly about our thoughts on the singles and this and that on top of doing the episode. So definitely like, and subscribe and don't forget we're the motherfuckers that broke the news that Zach was even playing on the fucking record. So we have been out there at the very forefront from the start. That's right. So like, and subscribe. We appreciate it. And until next time, guys, we will see you all on the other side. Um, it, it shows you how long the call's going, but I, I, I just, oh. uh, and I, in my brain, I went, Oh, that shows me how long it's recording. Oh, I see. Okay. So, okay. That's what happened. Great job, dude. You almost fucking had your lines verbatim. <laughs> you pretty, too? <laughs> no, that was pretty scary, dude. Uh, so it is I have like moron. no memory. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. I was just like, Jesus Christ. That's almost exactly what he said. That was fucking great. Yeah, I know it's insane. <laughs> oh, you're the best. I'm sorry about that, but that's thank okay. God we're able to get it. Uh, Dan, uh, are you recording Dan? Yeah, man, I'm recording. <laughs> are you sure you're recording Dan? Yeah. yeah it I'm doesn't sure. show me that you're recording. Yeah, I'm recording. I said right here. We yep. hang up. Good night. We love you all. Five minutes later, Dan calls. Uh, dude, we didn't record. We didn't record the last half. <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck.